0: Uh, this week on the podcast, I have Ryan and Tanya Avery. They run Avery Outdoors podcast and then also run the Rockslide Forum. Uh, they're just great people. They run in a, a lot of the same circles as I do, but this is the first time that I've actually been introduced to them and, and got to sit down and have a conversation. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I really enjoy Ryan's perspective on public lands and hunting units and You'll hear it in the podcast, but he just believes that there are no secrets, that it's all about drawing a tag and putting in the work, scouting and hunting it, and um, just that, that there's good critters in all these units out west, which I believe too. So it's just a, a fascinating conversation. I really enjoyed it. I know you guys will enjoy it too. Just want to thank our sponsors for the show. Uh, I want to thank Everly Stock Packs. Everly Stock has been with me from the beginning. Uh, they're just a great company that, that build great packs. Uh, they have a great warranty department. They stand behind every pack they make. Uh, their packs are durable, pack the weight well, and they've got different packs for every different need. Uh, so I, I love being able to have different packs for different uses. So I like to use their kite day pack, and I'll use that um, anytime I'm day hunting, just single day hunting. I can get everything in and I need. I can also take a load of meat out uh it it'll, it'll pack the weight really well but it's a, a lightweight um sits tight to your back compressed to your back you can hunt with it on just a great pack so i love that for day hunting could probably even get an overnighter in it if i pack right and then i've been using the little big top for smaller trips 3 to 5 days uh the little big top uh it's great pack pick, packs the weight really well uh lighter weight because it's smaller Uh, it's just perfect for those smaller expeditions. And then for the longer hunts, um, I've been using the destroyer. I really like that destroyer pack. Um, I was able to cut some weight, you know, extra length of straps and, uh, cut some things down, get it right at the weight I want packs, the weight really well. I can fit absolutely everything in it. If I kill a deer back there, I can take quarters out. Uh, so just really happy with their packs and and the company at Eberly stock. So if you guys are in the market for a new pack, Um, they've, they've got a, a bunch of good models to choose from. Make sure to check them out. And thanks to Eberly stock. I also want to thank high mountain seasonings, high mountain seasonings. Uh, they keep me alive during deer and elk season. Uh, their jerky marinades are so good. So I'm always making jerky, um, to get me through season. And I have them in a little vacuum sealed and I've been working on my recipe for years. Uh, I run mine in the dehydrator and then their seasonings, uh, through high mountain seasoning, they have so many different flavors that um, I'm always trying new ones. But uh, uh, they they've got a a bunch of great ones. But everything for your wild game needs. Uh, you can do snack sticks. You can do summer sausage. Uh, they've they've got all these jerky jerky seasonings, and, and then they've also got steak marinades. They've just got a bunch of products for for wild game. Well, and for for beef and pork and and chicken too. Uh, Just great seasonings. Uh, Make sure to check them out. High Mountain Seasoning. And uh, get some jerky marinades for this season. Um, There is nothing better in my pack than having a a fresh thing of jerky in there made by myself. So um, I just absolutely love it. Great company. Make sure to check them out. High Mountain Seasonings. And with that, um, just getting life back to normal here. Summer months. Found out I drew a Nevada tag this morning. So pretty psyched about that. Um, really wanted an early season high country mule deer hunt and I got it, you know, it's a, a tougher unit, um, one I've hunted before, but, um, psyched to have a tag and there's bucks in that unit. Uh, it's going to be a August 10th hunt. I just couldn't be more excited. I also found out that my buddy Dan drew a really good elk tag in Nevada. So I'm pumped for him. He did not draw his Montana tag this year that we like to hunt and, um, like I say, it's just karma. Uh, Dan helped me out with that giant bear, one of my best, you know, a week ago or so. And um, so this is just the world's way of repaying him. So I'm absolutely psyched for him. I'm going to go try to help him on that hunt and film. Of course, we we're putting all this together this morning. My my mind's racing a, a million miles an hour. Um, but yeah, we're going to go hunt that deer tag and then um, probably jump over to his elk. It's an early season elk tag. August 16th to the 31st. Like you could kill a bull in velvet, which is just crazy. You don't get that opportunity too often. Um really tough tag to tra- to draw. They don't give many of them out. So just couldn't be more happy for my good buddy. So yeah, I'm going to try to film it for him, I think, and uh, film it for Eastman's. Of course, I got to talk to to e- I got to work out the logistics, uh but but my my brain's just running overtime. I've already been on the maps, just putting in my study time. And uh, I'm stoked. I'm going to be hunting high country mule deer this year. So, um, man, just uh, really fun to get that tag and start planning on it. But uh, make sure to check out everything we got going on over here at Eastman's. Uh, the backcountry issue is coming up in EBJ, which is the Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal. Uh, also have the Eastman's Hunting Journal. And uh, we've got a code for the podcast where you can get an outdoor edge knife, Um in the, the the podcast, let's see, it's Elevate220. You text that to 22828, and uh, that'll get you a, a, a subscription to EBJ and the EHJ for a year and get you that free outdoor edge knife. Um, also, make sure to check out uh, Eastman's hunting journals on the Outdoor channel. A couple of my hunts are replaying on there. Really proud of my elk hunt last year. I think that one turned out really good. And uh, you set your DVR to that. Make sure to check out our, our internet show, uh, Beyond the Grid. Um, we also, I know the guys have been working really hard on, on Tag Hub. Um, it's part of the program that helps me draw these tags and do my research in these other states. You know, it just compiles all the Eastman's MRS data in one place, uh, searchable interface. Uh, so make sure to check out that Tag Hub as well. And with that, um, I better get this podcast rolling. Uh, a great one with Ryan and Tanya Avery. Um, Eastman's Elevated. I'm your host, Brian Barney. Here we go. Well, yeah. Um, so what do you guys prefer to hunt or what's your favorite
1: species? There's only one species. It's Elf. elk. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, I, yeah.
1: No, I know Brian. The older guy.
0: <laughs> I like to hunt all species for sure, but um I I don't know if it gets any more thrilling than elk hunting, you know. That's pretty exciting stuff for sure.
1: No, I just spent I was over at I spent four days at Ryan Lamper's and he's trying to convert me. I mean I've shot and hunted for Mule Deer and I enjoy it, but elk are number one.
0: <laughs> he's um he's a great salesman for Mule Deer, isn't he?
1: He's a great salesman for all things hunting. He's a good spokesmodel.
0: Oh, boy. Just the best. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that guy gets after it. How cool. Yeah, I didn't know you guys were, were friends with the Lampers up there, huh?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've known them. I, I, I'm I like pet Goats, so I took their pet Goats, him and Joey's Pat Goats. So that's kind of how I, I knew who they were and got in bed with them, I guess.
0: Okay, cool. And then um, how did you meet uh, Scott Rekers from Eastman's? Uh, what was your guys' connection there?
1: Way back before Eastman's stole him, he used to write for Rockslide.
0: Oh, gotcha. That's the connection. Okay. Yep. Yeah, how, long, I, how long have you been doing Rockslide? 2012. 2012. Um, yeah. Boy, that was good timing. It seems like everything in this market is timing, isn't it? Getting in at the right time with um, – yeah, with a uh, really good content.
1: Yeah, the thing is, is you know, there's basically <clears throat> I'm kind of a forum geek, but there's there's a forum started every day, and one out of a hundred forums make it. So it's all about timing and the right people involved.
0: Oh wow, okay. One yeah. in one in a hundred forum forums survive. Yeah, that's a that's a tough statistic to be up. That's almost like a elk hunting general season, huh?
1: Yeah, it's yeah, it's one percent. It's unbelievable. And why? And there's really no like statistic on what it's. It's more about timing than it is personnel. It definitely is. Oh, wow.
0: Okay. Yep. Um, I noticed that as well. Like so fortunate to get into the podcast game when we did, um, you know, definitely some guys got in earlier and, and made some good goes at it and good names for themselves. But um, it's tough too when nobody's ever heard of a podcast, you know, tough to build a following, but to get in at the right time, when not everybody has a podcast out there t- to kind of like build a following, you know, that the timing was just um, was perfect. Um, but yeah, I, I wonder if it's like that in other facets of the hunting industry, like you said, the forum world.
1: Yeah. And forum has ebb and flow. It took a week. We didn't really take a hit, but forums in general took a hit in about 2014 to 2017 because of social media. And now forums are starting to climb back up because it's a smaller tribe. People are more controlled. They just can't say whatever they want. So forums are definitely in the upswing. you I don't know if you follow any stuff that Eastman's doing, but I'm sure that Eastman's forums has an upswing also.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I have heard about that forum here. Scott always updates, updates me on it. Gosh, I haven't got hooked on the forum. So, um, yeah, so it just provides, we'll kind of explain it for me. So it's a forum or a group of guys that all kind of join that forum and then, um, guys ask questions about uh, units, about hunting, and then get responses, and then just a good back and forth between like, like-minded like individuals?
1: Well, Rock Slide is a little different Different than... Rock Slide is totally gear-driven, and obviously in the form you can talk about everyone, so you do get states and units and tactics, but when it was started by me, David Long, and Aaron Snyder in 2012. And it was total focus was all gear because there's nothing like that. So it still continued on. I mean, we do branch off, but we do gear reviews on the front end. It's like a WordPress front end site. And then the forum is more, it spurs on the conversation about that gear and about those reviews.
0: Oh, gotcha! So that's the the niche that you found. What a great one in the industry! Like supplying guys with that information, and also I think I read like like one. Of, I read that in your review somewhere that uh, how authentic your gear reviews were, and so you kind of built your name on 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 being authentic and giving guys the information out there to pick the right gear.
1: Yeah, we get hammered by – we've lost a lot of revenue because we tell the truth and people – the good companies like it. They like the feedback. They fix it and bring back the products. They try it again. The companies that have something to hide generally, they get mad at us and we don't hear from them again, which is a good thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's – well, I can – I can see why it's successful. Like authenticity goes so far in today's world. I think, you know, being yourself or like a, like state in the facts, uh, shooting people straight. Uh, they appreciate that and then come back for it. It just makes sense.
2: It almost seems like we get crap about, um, being loyal to certain brands. And so then we'll get some feedback on that, that people are like, Oh, mm-hmm. you just like, and it's like, well, <laughs> if they put out good gear, yeah. um, what, how can we not be loyal to that product, especially – I mean, we test everything so we don't just, like, get products from some company that, you know, has proven to be good with their gear and then just give it a pass. I mean, we still keep testing their stuff, but um, it, the good brands are consistently good, and so it, sometimes people, yeah. like, call us fanboys to certain
1: – Yeah, cream brands. rises to the top just like right. everything else. Yeah, well, uh, it's definitely
0: tough to make everybody happy in this world. It seems like no matter what you do, you're gonna have some complaints here and there. But if you guys don't mind, like, I'll just get right into it. Like, it's just a great conversation, just getting to know you both. So, um, I'm with Ryan and, and Tanya, right? I say that yeah. right uh from Avery Adventures um they have uh the uh, Avery Adventures podcast out there and then Ryan is also part owner in rockslide.com so that's what we've been talking about but yeah i i really appreciate you guys taking the time yeah it just it just makes sense like um cream rises to the top you're right when you put out a good product um people trust it and we will come back to and, and Tanya back to what you were saying like with these these companies Good companies consistently put out good gear, and so yeah, I can see you know how, how you might get some complaints here or there, but um, like you say, when you consistently test it and look at each piece, they just put out good gear. That's what they're striving for, so yeah, I can see that. It's definitely tough to make everybody happy in this world.
1: Absolutely, and I'm sure there's a piece that you've ran for the last 10 years, and you've tried other things. But you've came back to that piece because it is your favorite. It is, in your mind, it is the best. So, it's just how it works.
0: Well, yeah, and we're, we're all built different too. You know, we're, We all have different builds and different fits to different clothing and different fits to, to packs. And um, like you say, they do a pretty good job of building all the gear to fit. But um, we're all individuals and have preferences to what we like too. So, yeah, that that definitely goes into the equation.
2: Well, that's one nice thing about having the forum backed up. Um, you know, we put a review out, and then we start a thread on that topic. And so then people can, you know, like say if it was a pair of pants, you know, go back and forth on, oh, how does this fit you? This is my build, and this fits great, or this is my build, and I need to size up for this brand. And so there's a lot of feedback in addition to what we uh, put out in the review. So members can really get a really good, solid idea about the product before they decide to spend the money on it.
0: Oh, that's so beneficial! Yeah, to to get the feedback from other guys that say, you know, boots—they're true to size, or they run a little skinny. Order them a size up, or whatever the case is. Yeah, I can see how that'd be hugely beneficial. And so, yeah, uh, you guys have have built such a good forum. You can probably find threads on on most most clothing companies and and most clothing items. I would imagine by now, huh? Oh my
2: gosh! Yeah. yeah.
1: I think everything that's pretty much out there has been covered. I would say the hardest thing to review or give your opinion on is optics, obviously, because you bring your own two lenses to the party, and what I see, you may not see, and Tanya may not see. She may see something totally different, so optics are definitely probably the most argued about who's the best.
0: Well, it's, it's tough too. They're always, they're all, um, so competitive nowadays. And yeah, you're right. You may see something a little bit different through your eyes, more red, but it's all about where you're hunting and time of day and, and what you're looking for in glass. So there's, there's so many personal preferences that go into it too. And there's a lot of good glass out there. They're all competing against each other. So there's a lot of good products, like you say.
1: Yeah. The big three used to be, you know, the, the, a pinnacle but those other guys are certainly catching up every year it gets closer and closer
2: yeah for sure
1: <clears throat> well yeah. and and
0: price points play a factor into it uh, uh weight some of the smaller you know little spotting scopes and stuff that those play a factor like there's different niches in it or they offer different straight or angled pieces like everybody's different and wants something different in their piece of gear but that's good that they can they can uh, search it and then go into it and find out information on it. And when you hear real guys talking authentically, like uh, you get a pretty good feel for what you're going to get out of that product, I would think.
1: Um. Yeah, yeah, and and the cool thing about a forum is you kind of you don't get that uh, rah-rah mentality. People get called out on their BS, and I think that's important also because you that's that keeps some information from getting spread around. So that's another great quality of a forum.
0: Oh, gotcha. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, checks and balances. Those guys, uh, keep each other honest on there.
2: Oh, for sure. They, they call each other out. They're not shy about it. No.
0: Yeah. Uh, the internet isn't shy, is it? Uh, Yeah. Um,
2: no, no, but I think what's different about the forum than social media is, um, there's a moderator, you know, I mean, we have a ton of, ton of moderators, like 12 moderators that can really, you know, put people in check if they go too far, whereas, and they know that, so they don't want to get banned because they're just being a jerk. So they, um, they, they get put in check, whereas in social media, people can just say whatever they want and then, you know, a comment can get deleted if somebody wants to delete it, but how often does that happen or, yeah, you know, you're not getting the whole story then
0: there there's good and bad to it right and you got to do your best to try to avoid the bad and uh take the good out of it the good uh, the good part of it is we can self promote uh, uh promote things that we do and um you you can put out your art for other people to see but yeah that's uh, some of the bad that comes along with it but it sounds like you guys have faced that like i think you 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 definitely have to to tackle that when you have you know with the internet in today's day and age but it's it's just wild. There's so much information out there, and I, I mean, I would have loved to seen like what the hunting was like like back in the '70s. Like you hear about giant mule deer back in the day and some of the hunting that they had. But I truly believe like we're in we're in a a new phase of hunting. But it's the good old days, like the information age. There's so much information out there to learn about gear, about the tactics. Uh, uh to to gather information about different units in different states and travel around and get it like i, I think it's the new age of hunting right now you know you just you, we deal with a little bit more hunting pressure there's more guys that know how to do it um it's tougher to find your route but there's still the average guy can still have Um, good success out in public ground right now. So I I really think that that's the cool thing about what we're doing and what you guys are doing with your podcast and with your forum. It's all information that guys can gather there.
1: Yeah. One one of the biggest things that's been been talked about lately on, we did a podcast about it on the forums is, you know, people are mad because somebody's asking about a unit on any particular doesn't mean forum, social media, wherever. Well, I'm sure you know this, Brian, because you're a research guy. There really is no more real secret spots. It's just spending time in the field. The more you spend in the field, the more success you're going to have. So we've got to kind of let this secret spot thing go and start concentrating on being a better hunter, I guess I'm trying to point out on that side of it.
0: Oh, so well stated. Yeah. No, you're spot on. Um, that's exactly what it is. And and even the guys that are being consistently successful, they're not drawing those sought-after tags year after year. They're drawing easy-to-draw tags, you know zero point or general unit tags and they're just getting really good at their craft and yeah there's trophy units in near or trophy animals in in nearly every unit in every state out west it's amazing where you turn them up and yeah i mean that's the majority of hunting that i get to do and i'm sure you know you guys do a lot of it as well that's amazing like the size of critters you can turn up in a general season you know zero point one point like you say there's good spots all over you just got to put in your own research
1: yeah, and I, I think that once people, you know, boots on the ground, you can only do so much through Google Earth, but boots on the ground, when you're getting back to the golden years, I truly believe for elk, I'm not near as up to speed on mule deer. I think we are, you know, Idaho, Montana, Colorado, we are in the golden year for elk at the moment, so I think you're spot on with that.
0: Man, yeah, it's... um. It's been good hunting. Boy, we found some, some good spots this year. Just You know when you just time it right and you time the rut right or you time the hunting pressure right, but you just get into that good action and hunting and seeing those bulls and chasing around? I really think elk hunting's the most thrilling uh, out there going. I, I bet you guys uh, get your name in a, quite a few hats across the West here coming up.
1: Yeah, I think we're going – well, this year it will be four states for elk, I think, total. So not too bad. Not as bad as some. Some people I listen to and I'm like, how do they even keep track of all those states and points? It's unbelievable.
0: Yeah, I um I end up traveling a lot for mule deer, but I have such good elk hunting here in Montana that, that I you know, and I get a tag every single year, and so I always hunt my Montana elk, but I've started branching out. There's just good opportunities out west, like you say, and hunting um yeah. Idaho was great last year. I'd love to draw on some of these other states, um Wyoming, I'm I'm due for that. Man, that'd be a fun one. Um, but some good elk hunting out there, and some great bulls.
1: Is it you don't you do no rifle hunting, correct? Yep, all bow. So, what is the state for mule deer? Bull hunting. What is the state to have a tag for?
0: Man, I, it's hard to beat Colorado. I mean, Colorado has the genetics, has the management, and sticks more in the books than any other state. Like. Um, I would have to say it's Colorado pound for pound. And there's just so many units out there and every unit can grow a big one. So I really like Colorado. I love Wyoming too. Wyoming has classic high country mule deer habitat, tons of drainages to go, low pressure. It's got big bucks. The problem is, is, is Wyoming opens in September and they have a September 15th rifle season in there. So those deer are switched on and they're really getting from like lax summertime attitudes and they're going towards like secondary living. So it's it's a tougher season to hunt them. The weather comes in and um they they're living down in the cover more, but there's big bucks in there and we my my buddy killed a good one this year again in Wyoming and there um, I struck out there, but, yeah, hard to beat Colorado, Wyoming. I mean, all the western states have it. Nevada, they have a, a August 15th opener, and they have more mule deer. Like, the mule deer in a lot of those units is like rabbits. You just see so many bucks and look over so many bucks in that classic habitat, high country habitat. So... I mean, I really love them all. If I had to put my hat on one, it'd be Colorado, but all the states offer great mule deer, you know, opportunities. I hunted late season in Idaho this year, great opportunities there, hunted 11, 12 days, saw some great bucks. So uh, every place across the West, just like you were saying, it's no specific state. They all just offer awesome opportunities.
1: I'm not trying to turn this into my podcast, but I do have another question. Do you like the Colorado because you can hunt there every year or is it a points game in Colorado?
0: Um, so Colorado – so I, I like it because you can draw tags consistently, and I like it because uh, multiple units offer a chance at a big buck and good populations in that classic high country there. Um, I would say Colorado – so I've hunted – Four different units in Colorado. So I saved up my points a lot of years ago, and I went to one of the, like you say, there was all these classic units that used to be good. So, you know, I went to this classically good unit. So I saved, you know, four points back in the day or something and went there, hunted that one. I killed a buck. But then I kind of scouted around too, and I, I found another unit on the border these deer were crossing. And I saw that unit I could draw was zero points, and so I started hunting that. And um, I, I've hunted some other units, and then um, – so I like to hunt this unit that takes me now two points. It used to take me one point. So this year, the year after I drew it, I said, I'm going to go to a new zero-point unit. And I went in there, and we found a couple good bucks I didn't quite find the the population of them to bring me back to that unit. So now I'm back in the wait for two points for the unit I like. So it's hard to answer. Like I jump around a lot in Colorado and there is the opportunity for a zero point unit or a unit you can hunt every year. I just found one that I really like that now takes two points.
1: Yeah, because in Colorado, like there's really no general season. You still have to put in for it, correct?
0: Yep, exactly. Yep, no general tags for mule deer. They do have some leftover tags, but you pretty much got to drive to the Colorado Fish and Game Office and wait there in line because trying to call in the morning, you just never get any of those leftover tags.
1: Interesting. It's similar on the elk side. Is I've drawn some good elk tags, and so has Tanya. And I, I personally had better luck in general tags that I can hunt in Idaho or Montana every year. You know that you can get back to. But you don't have to wait three or four years. It's it's kind of interesting to listen to people. If you listen like Robbie Denning, he'll tell you, I would take a unit that I could hunt every year that has a marginal mule deer herd than one that has a great mule deer herd that I could hunt every five years.
0: Yeah, uh, that makes good sense. Um, unless you can plan out your states to where five years makes sense, you know, and be drawing in other states and go into Nevada and Utah every two, three years. So I would say I play the points game. I don't think I've ever drawn a tag that I've had five points into besides a Montana goat tag, but never a mule deer tag. Um, so I'd say I play the points game a little bit, but I'm smaller scale. I'm playing, my units usually take me about one to three points to draw, I'd say.
1: Those dang hunters, I tell you. They get all the good tags. (laughs) Oh, I know it.
0: Oh, we're so lucky. We get the the best tags, the best units during the best season. They're just really tough to kill, you know? You just fail a lot. Like, I see a lot of incredible bucks and incredible bulls that I just – I just, they just get the better of me. They outsmart me, they get bumped, you know, so I chase a lot of good ones around. Um, they're just tough to kill with a bow, but we do get some stellar seasons for sure. So you like both the, the, the bow and the rifle seasons?
1: Um, I only stick bow hunt when I hunt with a bow and I like the long range hunting side of it. So it's kind of like back and forth. I haven't stick bow hunted in a while cause my shoulder's jacked up and I need surgery, but, uh, I, I loved. I've shot a lot of a lot of bulls with my bow, with a stick bow, and I've shot a lot of bulls with a rifle. I really don't have a preference. In the last four years, hanging on Robbie Robbie Denny, I did kind of catch the mule deer bug, so I've been looking at that a lot harder, and I've shot a few decent bucks.
0: Good for you. That uh, that that rifle game is so fun. Like I cut my teeth hunting with a rifle and learned so much. Um, You know, without that, I wouldn't be the hunter that I am. But I live in a general season spot in Montana where it's tough. They give, you know, 20,000 non-residents and all the residents can hunt there and good elk populations. But rifle hunting is like a different challenge. It's like trying to find the animals you spend so... You you spend so much time like like looking for them and dissecting country and keeping the faith that you're going to find them. And, and then once you find – it's not that they're easy. Then you have to execute a good stock, put yourself in a good shooting position. There's so much that goes into it, but I sure enjoyed my days and learned so much. That late-season elk hunting is just cemented in my mind as like something – that's uh so fun i compare it to hunting the rut for elk it's the same thing you need to experience it in your lifetime like it's a it's it's so much fun to chase them around like that so man i can see the challenge of trying to kill those bulls and you have a tough time trying to draw tags
1: yeah do you like in your general season do you hunt with a bow even into like november for those tags
0: Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah, I do. I hunt – we get pretty much all of October here in Montana, and I usually hunt – now I'm hunting other states in September, and I come back and I hunt October – um, for, for elk with my bow. And then, yeah, I don't really get into November much. Once the general rifle starts, I hunt mule deer during the rut in November. And so I'll hunt mule deer out here in general rifle seasons with my bow during the rut. I just got spots that I backpack into. And like, to me, like, uh, I'm on this new challenge of like, I, I just want to kill them with my bow, you know? And so like the last big mule deer that I kill, it's like, man, I really want to kill one like that with my bow. And so I just dedicated myself to that. But, I, man, I have nothing against it. I hunt with my family with the rifle, um, my dad and my uncles, my cousins and things of that nature. So I still do a lot of rifle hunting. But, yeah, for me personally, I kind of quit in October. But I've been looking at those Arizona late bow tags they have in November. And they're post-rut bull tags in Arizona in the best units and you can draw them with a bow like November 1st to 16th or whatever. And that's what I learned so much hunting here in Montana is post rut bulls, like how they hide from pressure and group up in bachelor herds and they kind of go back. Um, You know, they definitely hang higher than the cows and don't hang with the cows anymore. So like I know a lot about post rut bull hunting and I would love to take on that challenge in AZ in one of those good units.
1: Oh, absolutely. I love hunting elk in the rut. You know, Northern Idaho is really brushy, so it's close encounters, but there's something about hunting mule deer or elk late in the season. Lots of snow. It's cold. I don't know if we're just kind of masochist that way, but it's just, it's just freaking awesome.
0: Isn't it just have to start a fire everywhere you go just to survive? You know, that cold late season presents like a different set of challenges, you know? Um, just, so do you guys, do you guys um, draw a lot of hunts together then?
1: Uh, we we never actually put in together because we'd probably start a fight on who's gonna shoot. So, <laughs> <laughs> so we put in for separate units. She's drawn. Uh, she's got really lucky and drew quite a few good mule deer tags, and she's also gotten lucky and drawn a few good elk tags. So,
0: we lady, got... lady luck. You you girls have really good karma out in the world. I think from being good people, you guys sure draw some good tags.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Our son is the luckiest one in the family, though. He manages to draw like these crazy good tags all the time.
0: Yeah. Oh, he- that young luck! Okay.
1: three tags in one year, and two were under one so. percent.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! I yeah. think you guys need to start applying with a for a group with him. That sounds like pretty good yeah. odds. Sounds like he's got the luck in the family.
2: Oh, he does
1: for yeah, sure. Yeah, he definitely does. I, I'm not early, and I'm not trying to jump around on you, but I'm not early. Was- early season stuff, I'm not high country mule deer wise. It's always brought up on forums about lightning. Have you had trouble with that?
0: Yeah. Um. I think like it's tough to compare it to like military, but I swear I have PTSD with lightning. I, I've been doing it since the early days. And in my early twenties, like I used to go for it and there was no literature. There was no way to learn. Like I learned by taking chances. And so there was a lot of nights that I, I'd sleep on a ridgeline at ten thousand feet, you know, and look for mule deer the other day. The over the other side, right away in the morning. And so, living up on those peaks, when those storms roll in, man, they are right on top of you. It is like it, they're shooting at you. And when you sleep in an unsafe spot and you have lightning striking inside a hundred yards, and you're just racing down the hill and ride out thunderstorms at night in your in your rain jacket away from your tent. Like I've definitely got smarter and um, played played it way better in the mountains but yeah i mean i i watch those storms i read the weather i've got i've got major anxiety about lightning and i constantly go for it everywhere but that lightning yeah man it spooks me i've been in some gnarly stuff with that
1: it's kind of a loaded question my friend do you know matt cashel he said he met you in a lightning storm
0: yes i do know matt yeah that was a bad lightning storm too yes
1: yeah, he was telling me. I was telling him I was coming on with it. He's like, you got to ask him about how much he loves lightning. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, That's... that stuff is gnarly. Uh, it's just spooky because I don't have any control over it, and I can ride out a storm in a safe place and um, you know ride it out, and I'm fine. But, boy, getting caught on those peaks and the couple storms that I that were really bad up there, man, oh, man. I mean, they just – uh you think that's the end you know it's like you're just so for so uh thankful when you come out of it uh alive so yeah uh grizzly bears rattlesnakes uh, I'll take all of that stuff over lightning but you know it's just it's like one of those things you know anything that scares you you have to you have to conquer your fear and you just think through it you keep yourself safe ride out some storms, and I always feel better after I ride out the first couple storms of the year. You kind of get it under my belt, and it's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. It passed. You know, it's fine. But, yeah, that lightning is gnarly for high country mule deer.
1: Tanya would be riding it out in the truck back in town. Right. <laughs> right. That That's safe.
2: We had a lightning storm in on us when we were bear, spring bear hunting, and I was not having it. No. No.
1: It was a bad situation for all of us, mostly because she was yelling at me.
2: Yeah, and he's yelling back, don't think that I'm the (laughs) mean one. I was like, I am leaving. You can stay here. I am leaving. And he's like, oh, come on. I can't believe it. Like, he is not the easiest person to hunt with. We sometimes get get a little angry at each other. And our hunting partners that will go with us sometimes, uh, they've seen firsthand some marital uh, disputes that can make you – Wonder a little bit.
1: Sometimes they have to be the mediator.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, uh,
0: that's just uh, that's just being passionate, right? You believe in the, the right move, and you're going to fight for it.
1: Yeah. yeah. I don't know. To me, I've hunted a lot. I've hunted a lot in storms. And as soon as you get that break in the storm, you know, a lot of times things happen. And I was trying to ride that out, and uh, she wasn't having it.
2: No. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Uh, you're right. They move after the storm. That's a good point. We <laughs> faced no, to cross a river, and she thought for sure we were going to get hit by lightning while we were crossing the river. Yeah,
2: I was. There was no doubt in my mind that was how it was going to go down. Um, and he was yelling at me, and I'm like, "You can stay up here, knock yourself out, but I am gone. I'm leaving. I am leaving you right now." And so.
0: When you start getting those strikes inside a half a mile, when you see it and hear it at the same time and it's like somebody shooting a gun off right next to you, that'll make me go for a safe spot too. So I would have been on your side of things.
2: There is no bear in my mind that was worth that. So I was more than happy to try another day. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you get to a safe place in those timber patches and things, and in that lower stuff, it isn't so bad. Yeah, it's just those those real ridge lines. But the, I don't know. Those storms can come in and be nasty wherever you're at. I've been in some nasty ones floating rivers, too, where you just no place to hide. Just got to ride it out on the banks there. But yeah, definitely in the high country speaks me. I'm not a fan of that stuff.
1: The ones that get me is, in your, you know, you've been out there scouting in August, and it's supposed to be nice and clear as a bell, and all of a sudden you have these boomers show up, and it kind of kinda takes you by surprise those are the ones that I always hate.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they can come in quick on you. Though, and in the mountains, they can form right over the mountain range. The first strike of lightning can be right on top of you. It just starts to fog in and cool down. and almost feels a little electric in the air, and then the first one snaps right on top of you somewhere around a ridge. So, yeah, you really got to be careful, like you say, of them, of um, the, those ones that come in quick or form right on top of you.
1: Yeah, when your hair starts standing up, you know you're in business.
0: Yeah yeah it's so funny. I can't believe you know Matt Cashel uh brought him up, well, yeah, I ran into him in a bad lightning storm. um gosh, we were way back in a deep mountain. there was nobody around, but there was that guy, Matt sure gets after it. He kills some good mule deer,
1: yeah, he he's writes awesome. for yeah, he writes for rockside. he's a good guy,
0: yeah, he sure seemed like it. We kept in touch there for a while, and then, yeah, I ran into another one of his buddies like on western Monta- in western montana said um he's a sheriff now, is that right?
1: Yep, he's a detective.
0: Yep. Oh, I got to reach out to him. I think I still have his email. Um, but yeah, uh, what a great guy. Yeah, ran into him in one of the nastier lightning storms in that range for sure. And he was in there. We were hunting the same
1: buck too. He said his, "He said we're up there. It started thundering. I got the hell out of there. He's like, I didn't see Brian come down. He's like, he's. I thought, man, he's way tougher than me. And then he goes, like an hour later, you showed up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yeah, that was
0: enough for me too. Yeah, I had had enough of sleeping on that ridge. But um, yeah, there's there's plenty of dangers. You just you just gotta um, you just gotta play it safe. I I definitely get safer as you get older. You make better decisions. You just have better common sense. Um, you still go for it and go hard. You're, um, I'm just not stupid about it. At least for me, on my side of things.
1: No, you said you had a few girls coming up. Are they gonna hunt.
0: Yes, they do hunt. Yep. Um so we're already we're 16 and 12. So I started early. So um yeah, I've already got hunting buddies and uh yeah, we go out and um they they shoot bow a lot and and shot uh competition for a while but it's just not quite their deal yet. You got to kind of introduce kids or at least I believe like have a little payoff and a little success. So we've been getting them some rifle tags. And then, um, yeah, we kind of ramp it up every year. And so now we're doing adventure hunts where we leave and we drive for about five hours and do a weekend. And so with my youngest, we uh, still uh, truck camping, but eventually backpack hunting for the weekend or whatever. And they've they've killed some really good deer. Those girls are such good learners. There's like no ego involved. And they just listen to your – you know, listen to what you tell them. I, me at, at their age, I would have emptied my gun and, and reloaded it, emptied again. Where they just stay cool and calm, and their one shot kills. It's just amazing. They learn so well.
1: Yeah, my I have a 19, 17 year old, and they are just so quick to learn. They don't have any bad habits. They they might I would say they listen. They don't always listen, but when it comes to hunting, they listen, and they have been. I've been super impressed, and I cannot. I stress it enough, like you already said, early success is the best answer.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well and um like it sounds like you're a lot like me where uh we made all the mistakes I had to learn everything the hard way. I had to mess it up and, and learn from it a few times before it it, it sank in and, and we built bad habits because we didn't know any better or the information wasn't out there, or we didn't look hard enough or have, you know, search out the right mentors to teach us to get to that next level or what and I had great mentors don't get me wrong I just I just made a lot of mistakes but it's so nice to bring kids up and give them the right information and teach them the right skill set and then watch them have success with it you know as far as you know, we pack practice uh you know our dry fire drills and shooting positions acquiring targets like all that little stuff you don't really think about when you're a seasoned hunter but but looking through new hunters eyes you're, you're trying to give them all those right skills to be successful It's been fun
1: oh it's it's so much fun and it's hard you always hear that well I'd rather have you know my wife or my kid have more success than me, but in the moment dude it is it is epic to have them be successful. you see the emotion that you have when they're successful, and uh I think it's pretty awesome to to be the person out there showing them that
0: yeah, absolutely, and um, they, they're they so quick to learn or so fascinated by it as well. So, um, yeah, no, it's, it's a really cool thing. So we've got them out on adventure hunts, and so we'll get them in some applications this year and see if we can get some deer, some antelope tags, something like that, maybe even apply for an
1: elk. Have you been back to that hunting yet?
0: No, not quite, but um, – I. I have to really tone myself down with when I'm with them to really cater the experience to them. So we've definitely done backpack trips, but I can I can kind of go too hard for their own good or like I don't want to burn them out just because I know you know my personality whether it's fishing or hunting or whatever it is. So I really try hard to cater it to them. So we haven't done a backpack trip yet. I think we're about ready for it, but I've definitely pushed them hard in the day hunting department. You know, long walks out <laughs> in the dark and the whole deal. So.
1: I would totally agree. You can burn them out. I burnt out my son kind of early, and I took Tanya on a, a pretty extreme backpack hunt and uh, four elk, and it probably wasn't my best move. I should have stuck to the day, the day hunting, but I was a little dumb on that aspect.
0: Yeah, well, uh, well, and us guys that, you know, we love it so much and we're so passionate about it. The deal is, is we know the payoff. We've seen it before. So we're, we're willing to do whatever it takes. We're willing to, like you say, backpack for days on end, but these newer hunters, they don't, they don't quite have that payoff yet or have that, you know, they're learning it or getting it right now, but you're, you're right. You almost have to cater the experience. So, so everybody has fun and, you know, take, if I take them past their skill set, you know, I'm probably not going to be having, having fun watching them be miserable either, you know? So yeah, I really got to cater it down. That's the way my personality works too.
1: Absolutely. Does your wife hunt?
0: She does. Yeah. Not, she hunts more to just spend time and hang out and go do something. So we love antelope meat. She usually puts in for an antelope tag a year. And then if we get that, you know, we can either hunt evenings or uh, hunt weekends, but Uh, she wants no part of that crazy wilderness stuff I do everywhere. So, uh, we really, we really pick and choose for her.
1: Yeah, I can, I can see that. How, how bad is the, the Grizz over there? How bad is it where you guys live?
0: You know, um, it's, it's definitely on the forefront of your mind. Like you, you think about them, you know, you think about them when you're camping and in my home Valley, like I live South of Bozeman, there's an attack every year and, you know, three not three miles away from where my Hawaii buddies, where I was hunting with them last year, there was three attacks on the same trail, probably the same bear. So it happens every year. But to be honest to you, like I I've I've been hunting here for fifteen twenty years. I hang up my food every night. I sleep in a good spot. I, I just don't. You know, I keep my head on a swivel. I look for sign. I just don't have run-ins with them. I I I usually see. Spring bear time, I'll see a few grizz, you know, and have to look out for where they're at and give them a wide berth and stay out of their way. Elk hunting, they're around. You really got to watch out for carcasses or sows and cubs. But the way I hunt, I do a lot of a lot of glassing and not a lot of calling and um, keep aware of my surroundings. And, and I, I don't have much of an issue with them, and I'm real comfortable around them. So I don't worry about it too much, but there is an attack every year. And like Todd Orr was attacked on the North Fork of Bear Creek Trail up there. And it's a trail I probably ran 20 times that year. I know the exact spot where he got attacked. He's just like bad timing. He ran into that a cub and he's a super experienced wood, woodsman, had his pistol on him and bear spray, spray, sprayed it coming in and it still got him and then came and got him again on the trail. And, and you couldn't, you couldn't have a more experienced wood, woodsman than him. So you know it's an odds game, but there's so many hunters in the woods. Um, I, I just I just don't have much of an issue and and don't really worry about them too much. And they're just not monsters. Not everyone comes after you. Nine out of ten run away from you like a whitetail. You know, so I've I've just got comfortable with them and comfortable hunting bears, black bears, and so like like I'm okay hunting grizz country.
1: No can you like run. In the middle of the day or early on, is it, I just can't imagine running around and running smack into a grizzly bear. That would be very interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm constantly running trails. Yeah, I just don't run them with any uh, headphones or anything. Keep my head on a swivel and a can of bear spray, and run those trails. Yeah, mornings, nights, midday, and and go and do ten to twenty miles back there. And yeah, I've ran into a couple bears, see them a ways off, but yeah, I just I I haven't had any bad encounters i got charged the first day i hunted in montana uh by a grizzly and since then i haven't uh charged by a couple black bears that i was archery hunting but no grizzly um you just get comfortable around them like when you're mountains when you're surrounded by them and you end up recreating so many days out in there you just get real comfortable with your surroundings the nature and then the bears themselves and where it, it just doesn't worry me too much
1: interesting
0: Yes, yeah, well, like you- it's like yeah. Hawaiians and sharks those those guys go out in the ocean, and all I can do is look for this this white shark coming for me in the water and I'm just looking around constantly spear diving around. Those Hawaiians don 't even give it a second thought they're not even scared of sharks. they'll poke them if they come in, they keep them away from their fish, you know and so like it's just a comfort level when you live in them and recreate around them every day, you just get comfortable with dealing with them.
1: <laughs> that makes sense. They they're, they're uh, really really the, the population in unit 1 in northern Idaho on the Canadian Montana border is is getting out of control.
0: Man, it is getting out of control in a lot of places where guys are just getting attacked um you know year after year in Wyoming, Montana, like where you're talking about northern Idaho. They're definitely going to have to make some changes because um like even talking to Cole Kramer lives up on kodiak island guides for those big brown bears up there he says your guys' bears in montana are a different breed like uh not that he's scared of our bears he deals with those giant brown bears but he knows that that our bears in montana have a different attitude that they're ornery you know and so yeah we're definitely going to have to change the the rules on them because um there's just getting to be more and more conflict so yeah too many of those things
1: Yeah, they have absolutely no fear of us. We were bluff charged by a sow and two cubs, me and my buddy Kelly, a few years ago. And they didn't care if we were yelling at them, they didn't care if we shot in the air, they didn't care about anything
0: oh man that gets spooky when it gets there doesn't it and that thick cover that you're talking about in northern idaho that's where you run into them in close encounters and that's where i hate to run into bears i always try to avoid the hundred yard mark because hundred yards inside that it's fight or flight and grizzly bears are ornery a lot of times they come on the fight especially if they have a carcass around sow and cubs so yeah that thick stuff that you're hunting up there those close encounters no thank you
1: yeah, the thick stuff makes me the, ner- the most nervous. But luckily, this was not a big burn. I've had more trouble with, with cow and calf moose, you know, close quarters combat, running me up a tree than I have with grizzlies. Luckily, have you? You've been ran up a tree by a, uh, some moose, huh? Twice, and it was in the same stinking drainage. You know, you're coming out, you know, about 20 minutes after dark, and you're, you know, you just have that little headlamp, and all of a sudden you see eyes. And luckily enough for me, uh, the cow was on the other side of the calf, so she had to go around the calf. To come to me, but yeah, twice I've been chased up a tree.
0: Gosh, I've heard that by guys in Montana that are more scared of moose than, um, bears i've definitely had a couple close encounters and i had a buddy that hiked out of camp once early without me and i was going to stay in there and he came back to camp white as a ghost he about got killed by that cow i think he had to shoot in the air and he fell on his bow and busted his quiver and man he was a wreck he thought that cow was gonna get him he thought he was gonna have to shoot her but yeah i can see i've definitely had a couple get onry like that um i haven't been ran up a tree yet but that's pretty gnarly
1: yeah, and I always thought they would bluff charge you kind of like a bear. The two that I, I don't know even know if it was the same cow, but she gave no bluff. She was all weird. <laughs> she was she was coming fast. God, I would hate
0: to be stomped by one of those things too. They sit so tall, and they're all legs. And you see, like every once in a while, I see a cow, elk, or a mule deer, or a, a moose, like trying to fend off something with its front hooves. Man, oh man, that thing would just
1: tear you apart. Yeah, and they're so you know in the heat of the moment they're so much quicker than you think they'd be. Obviously a bear's quick, but those moose, for being so clumsy looking, they can get right after it.
0: Man, yeah. Yes. Um, I just wrote a uh, I just wrote a bear article that's going to come out in the next issue. But I those those black bears, those are the ones I got to look out for, especially like after you run an arrow in them. It seems like a if you just get you're so close to them, you know, and then they're just looking to escape and come on you. But I had an encounter last year. And so, you know, I made a promise that I would always carry my pistol with me now when I'm hunting bears. And so I dropped my bow and pulled my pistol and I'd love to tell you that I made this great one shot kill, but I shot nine times at that thing coming down the hill and it already had an arrow through the lungs. You know, I was not that proficient or cool under pressure. Like I should have been with a charging bear. So I'm definitely working on my pistol game a lot more this year.
2: Us too. I, i would, I don't think I could hit the broad side of a barn. I think I'd be more deadly if I threw it at you than if I actually tried to shoot you at it.
1: <laughs> I have a really bad habit that Tandy yells at because we, we bait a lot of bears in North Idaho, and she shot a couple of them, and I ran right after them, and, man, it drives her insane.
2: I'm like, just let it die first. Like, why are you chasing <laughs> Yeah,
1: Well, she ends up trying to shoot at them right before dark, and, you know, you don't want them to – you know, black Bear runs a couple hundred yards, you know, they kind of heal up quick and it's hard to get on them, especially in North Idaho, it's always dewy and rainy and you just, you want to find them now. So in my head, I got to go now. And she's usually screaming at me, but she luckily they've uh, all been dead.
2: Well, it's not like I just wanted to shoot him at that time. That's just the time they came in.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's definitely fun. It's like the blue collar way to, to get, like uh, to start on hunting dangerous game because there is risk involved you know with those black bears you know being at close proximity like that so it's kind of some of the fun and some of the excitement of hunting them at least for me
1: oh absolutely black bears are one of my spot and stock black bears is one of i like baiting them but spot and stock you know you know i think there's a little bit of cabin fever involved with that but you finally get out in the woods to go after them it's a riot
0: Yeah, we live in um, like fairly open mountain ranges, you know, so a lot of glassing for them and turning them up and then getting the stock on on them. And yeah, bear hunt, you probably heard it referred to as 99% boredom and 1% thrilling excitement. And yeah, that's about, that's about my spring bear
1: season. (laughs) That's, I think that's a lot of hunting and you know, I've shot a lot of bears and I've been with a lot of people and I'm still the worst judge of bear size on the planet. (laughs)
0: <laughs> they're so tough without antlers, aren't they? And it, I I get excited. Everyone I see, I think, is a big bear at first. I always call out big bear, and then I've got to look at it for a minute and really assess it and then go, oh, no. I think it's under five foot, actually. It's not a big bear, you know, or whatever the case is.
2: Well, they're so thick. I mean, they, they just yeah. – they are big. They look fluffy, so yeah. they just look bigger than they are. Yeah,
0: yeah man, those things are tricky. I've definitely – I get caught when I'm with buddies trying to tell them like a medium size. I'm really tough at the medium size. I can tell a big one and I can tell a small one, but it's like that mid-range, you know, where I'm trying to tell them what it is and then might go up to it. might be a half a foot smaller than I think it is. You know, they can sure fool a guy.
1: Oh, yeah. About every other one we walked up to that I've been with, I'd be like, well, I lied to you. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a <laughs> uh,
0: they're, they're so fun to hunt though. And with the color phases and the truth of the matter is, is black bears just don't get that big either. It's not like walking up on a brown bear either. Like even for me, a good one with archery and around here, like I usually a five and a half foot boar or bigger, you know, I'm pretty happy. And I've had some of those aged at eight years old, nine years old, and they're only five and a half foot, you know, filled out, not narrow in the chest, like a good, decent boar. But yeah, the truth of the matter is, especially out West here, we don't walk up on 500 pound bears like in the springtime. Yeah, they're two to 300, you know, and if you kill a real big one, they're big when you walk up on them. But those are just, they're rare specimens when they go that, I know, you know what I'm talking that big six and a half foot or even six foot, but just super big, roly-poly 300 pounder, you know, 20 inch plus skull.
1: Yeah, they, I've been around a lot of, of dead bears. My buddy's an outfitter. And the biggest one, just by happenstance, I sent Aaron Snyder up one of these logging roads, and I'd seen a lot of bears in there. And lo and behold, he came back with a seven foot two inch bear. Oh my gosh, that's a bear of a lifetime! Uh... It is. And I've hunted them every year since I could, and my biggest bear is six five, which is a big bear, in you know, in the Rockies. But his was unbelievably big for a spring bear. That's uh, kind of – I'm still kind of irritated about it, to tell you the truth, Brian. <laughs> I would be too. I'd hold a grudge against that. That's a giant one. Um, yeah. He pulled it out of the backpack, and it just kept coming, man. I was like, oh, that's like the biggest bear. That's actually the biggest bear in the state. And the weird thing is, Brian, it had a little dinky head on him. He was like an 18-and-a-half-inch bear. Oh,
0: isn't that wild? Yeah. yeah. The, the head doesn't you... always match the body. Seven-foot-two and an 18-inch skull. That's wild.
1: I want to say it's maybe 18 and a half. I think it was maybe 18 and three quarters, but didn't match the body.
0: Huh. Wild. I've always wanted to go and do like that Prince of Wales or do that Alaskan coast and do like try to spot and stalk them on the shores down there just cause they have such big bears. Like they're, You know, you got the chance at a six and a half, seven footer, you know, consistently, uh, especially those ones eating fish and things. I think that would be a really fun hunt to do. Have Have you done anything like that?
1: No, but it's definitely on the bucket list because you can legitimately shoot a 20 inch plus, you know, Boone Crockett bear there.
0: Man, I've got a, a couple big 19s, one that's 19 and 13, 16s or something, and then uh, another one 19 and 5, a couple, of two, three 19s, but I'm yet to break that 20-inch mark.
1: I am with you. I have two in the 19s, and the funny part is is Tanya's bear, Tanya shot a bear two years ago that was five, it was like five feet, eight inches, and it had a 19 and a half inch skull, so it's just, the, the length means nothing to the size of its being. You're,
0: you're exactly right. Yeah. That's why, you know, like I say, a five and a half foot or 18 and a half inch skull with my bow, I'm usually pretty stoked with that bear. That's a bear I'll go after. But yeah, there's just, there's no rhyme or reason to it. Like you're saying between the size and the head skull, it's, it's all different. You know, it's definitely, it's, it's got to have to do with the age and then the genetics as well. But it's weird how they build bears, different body shapes, where you can get longer and stretched out ones and shorter and fatter ones. And, and they can
1: all be big bears. Oh, absolutely. That, that goes back to why when you spot them, it is so hard to give them a size. It's so difficult.
0: Oh, it's the toughest. What's, you know, the ears are my best tell, but you know, you're, you're not always close enough to get a good look at the ears, but just the body size, right? I mean, you try to size them up, but, a really big bear, you just know it, right? Just the way he walks and the way he waddles and the belly hangs and the body filled out. You you know a really big one. It's just those, those in-between ones can be tough. But yeah, I'm not the best judge either.
1: I totally agree. My bucket list bear now is, I've passed up a lot, is a six foot plus reddish colored, you know, that reddish color they get. That's my bucket list now and that's what I'm going to, I'm not going to shoot another bear knock on wood until I see that bear.
0: Oh, I love that cinnamon uh color phase that you're talking about. My buddy Dan killed a really good cinnamon uh, I think it was last year, year before year out, a good five and a half foot, 18 inch skull cinnamon. But yeah, I'm yet to check off a of cinnamon. I killed a really blonde one last year, that blonde. That's like a, like the color of an elk, you know, that bleach blonde. I killed one of those. I've got a really big blonde and then a couple chocolates, a couple blacks in theirs. But yeah, I'm yet to have that cinnamon color too. That's, that's a rare one.
1: That, that blonde one would be one that might get the trigger too, if it's uh if it's at – then and, and you know above, yeah, I say six foot, but if it's upper end five, it might get shot too. So I got to so put that, that one on the list.
2: <laughs> since we know that you're not sure between five and six feet, yeah, might...
1: <laughs> that's like all of us.
2: <laughs>
1: be a to blonde one get shot. <laughs> yeah, that blonde
0: is a cool color phase, um, and just bleach blonde. And a big blonde is tough. You, we see a lot of smaller blondes because I think they get shot young or something. Um, but, but yeah, out here, I'd say where I'm at, I'm really lucky. We get a lot of color phase. I'd say out of 10 bears, you know, probably, uh, uh, maybe four black, four chocolate and two are blonde. So we see quite a few blondes.
1: Yeah. A lot of those blondes, because I've seen the same bear, like four or five different years, started out really blonde as a, a small bear and they get that brown cinnamon. they actually... When they're full grown mature brother, they, they turn into that cinnamon color. So I think you're right. Blondes are the the most unique out of the two.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's fun hunting the different color phases. Do they have um, uh, all the color phases up where you're at? Uh, uh, you hunt Northern Idaho quite a bit for them.
1: Yeah, like in the, where I hunt a lot, I hunt a lot in Unit Four in Idaho, and they uh, they're predominantly black. But if you get down into the St. Joe and into the Clearwater, it's it's almost about fifty fifty. They're kind of crazy how that works.
0: Okay. Boy, um, just like you were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, there's so many great places for bears, isn't there? It's They travel around. Um, it, uh, definitely Idaho, Montana, just uh, good populations of them everywhere.
1: Yeah, and you can shoot two in most the top units in Idaho, so it's hard for me to even get out of the state.
0: Oh, man. They'll let me go there and shoot two for 40 bucks a piece in the right unit, which is just a deal.
1: Oh, it's absolute steal. And then you have to, you should obviously buy a wolf tag because we definitely need those. Those are cheap too. So every non-resident should come to Idaho and buy a wolf tag.
0: And you got a good fish and game department there in Idaho. They're looking out for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, we did that. And the cool part is, is on Timber Company land, it's open year round. So while I was bear hunting last year, I, we called in a wolf and I shot it.
0: Oh, good for you. Uh, those yeah. are tough to come by. You called it in too.
1: Yeah, we called it in. We actually called in two from the same pack and shot them two different days. Good
0: for you. Do you call them in with like a rabbit distress call or a howl, or what did you use?
1: I called both of these in with a coyote pup in distress. Oh, wow. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I shot a about an 80-pound female, and my friend shot about a 110-pound big male.
0: Oh, man, he got a big male. Was it uh, the the black or the gray variation?
1: No, and they both looked almost identical to a coyote
0: color. Okay, like uh, like that gray color, kind of gray uh
1: brownish frosty whites on it, you know, like oh
0: oh yeah, more of a brown color than that yeah. that gray whitish color. I got gotcha. you.
1: Yeah, it was it was surreal when you, I've seen them at a distance, say like eight, ten, you know, three quarters of a mile, but when they come flying out of the trees, I literally shot mine at seventy yards, and it was it's just kind of surreal to see those, those things come flying out of the timber.
0: Man, they're a predator, like um. You know, I don't worry about them too much in the woods attacking me as there's not too many cases of it. But you think twice when you're up there by, like I'm up there by myself. And, uh, this is back when I was rifle hunting and the pack came in around me and then I'm seeing wolves just at a hundred yards kind of darting all the way around me. It was back when they were protected. But I remember looking at counting my rounds going, gosh, I don't think I have enough rounds for as many (laughs) wolves and they're darting around and howling and it's kind of foggy. And about that time, I could tell you, I was extremely worried about getting attacked by wolves, you know, where normally I'm not.
1: It definitely gives you one more thing to think about. I definitely agree with you there. Yeah, my,
0: um, running the trails, we were talking about that. I used to run. I used to. Me and my dad bought twenty acres and then split it into two ten-acre parcels. And then I've since sold that place. But so we lived there and we could glass up on the hillside and see elk and you know see game and stuff. And so I'd always run this loop up there my dad came screaming up the road up there as I'm running this loop. And he came up and he goes, did you, did you see that wolf? And I said, that wolf. I said, no, I didn't, I didn't see any wolf. And he said, you ran right by it. It laid down in the grass and watched you run by and you didn't see it. And then he ran up to the fence line and got me up there, you know, and told me there was a wolf looking out and I ran back that way. I never did see it or anything, but yeah, that wolf let me run right by it and ducked in the grass. He could have had me if he would have wanted me at that point.
1: Yeah. That's spooky. That, I mean, that is, Apex predator, they they don't go away easy.
0: No, and um, well, and what do they call that when uh, like the, the like uh, predators will just kill for fun, or they get in the chicken coop, or what do they call that?
1: I know what you mean. It's that chase. It's a run chase thing. I don't. I know what you. I know what you're trying to say, but I don't know what you. I don't know the word. Yeah.
0: So, but those those wolves just can't help themselves. You know, I've seen them like when they first introduced them, the elk didn't know what to do. And they just kill everyone in the herd, just rip out their throats, and there'd just be dead elk laying everywhere on the hillside. they just keep killing them. So I'm lucky that that single wolf didn't have a pack or didn't want me too bad that day because he knelt right by it. Dad said I ran, you know, 20 yards by him or maybe it was 30 yards or something, but I ran right by him.
1: He probably wondered what in the hell you were running from.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it definitely could be. Yeah, but um, (laughs) – I don't worry uh, about just, those those things too much, but they do get eerie when you hear them howl like that when, you're, when you are back in somewhere. But I need to do my part and hunt them a little bit more. Um, it, it's been so good now that these states let us hunt them and control their numbers a little bit. We've definitely seen a bounce back in our elk numbers.
1: Yeah, they they have decimated, and I'm not I, – I don't like the wolf. I'm not the person that says they should be eradicated. They just – to me, the state of Idaho needs to make them a non-big-game species. So you can hunt them year round. You can hunt them at night. You can hunt them with thermals. Just make it fair because at the moment they just did their count. I think their count, you know, we were supposed to have a 100 wolves, 10 breeding pair. I believe the count just came back at like 1,500. So they're a little bit over objective for the state of Idaho.
0: Oh, Jesus. They've just moved the goal line on us the whole time, you know. It was first being just introduced into the park and then it was into the states and then it's we want to have this many and now those numbers are even getting pushed back and yeah, um we have to control them and those wolves are so smart like you say we got to use you know every modern technology we have and season so we can control them because you're right as as we've been you know we've had a uh we've fared okay in my home valley but some other valleys have just been decimated like you said like your guys is elk city that population went from 10,000 to nothing or 20,000 to nothing excuse me in the greater northern yellowstone herd or the northern what, what it, those three words put together in in some sequence, but that um, you know around Gardner and that migrate and herd it through there. They used to give us late season tags and cow tags, and that went from twenty thousand to two thousand. You know, so yeah, they they definitely need to be controlled and need to continue to pass laws so we can control their numbers. And you know now there's there's. Um, you know, there's, there's signs of them in Colorado as they were talking about reintroduce them. They're not even going to have to, those wolves are going to, going to be in Colorado before we know it.
1: Yeah. They go wherever the mills are and there's a lot of mills in Colorado.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And it's too bad. They've got such good populations there too. Uh, they're going to see some of their numbers get decimated the same way us Northern States have.
1: Yeah. You know and it's- I don't want to get into the, the, the what people call bro science, but I've hunted the same five drainages since I was basically eight. The only thing that's really changed with the elk herd going down immensely is the apex predator that is the wolf. That, that is what has caused it. It's not global warming. It's not habitat because they're still wintering in the same drainages they did before, which have no, pretty much no human impact in the winter, and there's far less elk, and there's only one reason. You can call whatever you want, but it's the wolf. Yeah. yeah,
0: That that's no bro science to me. I, I'm with you. No, I, I've seen the numbers here in my home valley do the same thing. And, you know, the statistics, if you just look at the moose numbers and uh, how they've been decimated as they get them in that deep snow and those wolves can run on top and take them out. So, yeah, I mean, um, definitely, you know, statistics, bro science, like uh, all of it. It's uh, that apex predator, that wolf. They're really good at, at killing elk.
1: Yeah, I'll drop it at this. But the funniest thing I ever heard was a podcast, and I think it was on Steve Rinella. It was they had a biologist on there, and she said they went, the the elk just went nocturnal. <laughs> 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 <Yeah>. <laughs> that gets rid of their 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 scat and their tracks going noct, and they can fly now apparently.
0: Oh, that's amazing how that works, isn't it? Yeah, I've definitely seen some uh, reverse science. How they're really excited about how the trees are coming back in Yellowstone because there are no no more elk in there to rub them off. You know, the,
1: the willows are coming back.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, uh, you know, definitely have some up an uphill battle on some things, but at least our states are watching out for us for the most part. You know, I I hope passing rules to to keep. You know, where we can continue to hunt and and show our kids good hunting and continue to have opportunity.
1: Yeah, I mean, so far I have to give it to the state of Idaho. I don't follow the other states as much as they're trying. They are trying to give us the most opportunities. We went from having five tags a year, and now I think it's up to 30. You can trap 15 and shoot 15. So they're doing what they can to make it better.
0: Yeah, if we can just do that with the grizzly bears, I think I think uh, we'll ha- we'll have everything right out west. You know, just everything. Their numbers have to be controlled the same as the ungulates.
1: Absolutely, and if we can just base it off of science, I think we can get there. Take the emotion out of it. Let's just base it off what the scientists, you know, the biologists are saying. I think we can get there. Well, that's
0: way too much common sense. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the emotion thing is going to kill us. I mean, literally <laughs> and figuratively. Kill
0: us. It sure is. Well, um, do you got any hunts so far uh, this year or just getting ready to apply everywhere? Do you have any that you count on?
1: Um, I'll, I'll buy, I like I said, Idaho is hard to get out of because I can buy two elk and two deer tags. So they are going to change our deer tags a little bit, it looks like a little bit. So I'll definitely be hunting Idaho. Me and Tanya will both have two tags, two elk tags, two deer tags, and we're both going to hunt uh, your state this year, and I'm going to put in for Wyoming. I did put in for Wyoming elk. Put in for New Mexico because it's you know it's an easy tag because there's no points. It's either you do or you don't, and that should about round it out. Really. I have a whole lot of points in Utah, but I think I'm just going to buy another elk point.
0: Okay, plan for the future. Yeah, you go oh, ahead. I'm
2: sorry. Brian, I, I'm glad that we were on your podcast because I wasn't really sure what we were doing until just this moment. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah trying- you gotta you
0: gotta get the plan together, right?
2: Yeah, well, we we uh, have been trying to do a calendar, but for some reason the calendar is like a a rolling calendar. It's like not just like okay, here are the dates. This is what the plan is. It keeps evolving, so I've just kind of given up on the calendar because it just never was accurate.
1: Put up a calendar and down, Brian. Right? Don't do the calendar yeah. thing.
2: Yeah, don't don't at all let your spouse know what's going on in her own life. That would <laughs> <one's> just because <laughs> we love change a lot and be inconsistent. Chicks are known to love inconsistency.
1: I have no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> no, no, me neither oh that's funny yeah uh, should help states and three deer states so
0: good for you and you've got more into that deer hunting lately you said you harvested a a couple bucks here recently and you're getting more into it probably uh your home state idaho offers some good hunting there
1: yeah i shot unit one in north idaho is a very tough i don't know if you've ever been over here. It's a very tough unit for mule deer and i shot a really old buck i think he's gonna i just sent in the teeth so He's a really good buck for Northern Idaho, and uh, I shot a few down in Southern Idaho with Robbie, and so did Tanya. So, yes. definitely getting on the mule deer train. There's, they're uh, cool animals.
0: Oh, cool! Yeah, it's a it's a fun way to hunt, and they live in so many different habitats across the West. Yeah, I have no doubt you'll you'll be as hooked as I am here in a couple more years. That North Idaho buck, you yeah, will have to take a look for that thing up North Idaho in that deep timber country. The genetics. Like, I bet he, I can just almost picture him as you describe him as this dark, heavy horned, you know, northern Idaho
1: buck. That's it. He has no tines. He's all mass. Oh, how cool. He's about 27 inches. He's just a heavy old buck. And I, after, you know, like I said, I didn't get into mule deer because I had a lot of whitetails around here. They're like rats. But uh, Robbie convinced me that mule deer was a thing. So I really started putting in some effort up there in 2015. And, uh, Basically didn't see nothing. Had a few really good bucks on trail camera, but they were, they were nighttime only deer. And, uh, anyways, finally made it happen and I was pretty pumped.
0: Good for you. That is not easy, uh, especially not with the rifle seasons. That's the toughest time of year to hunt a big mature buck like that. And, yeah, it's tough in those those low population units like that or, um, you know, lower densities, I guess. Because, yeah, not seeing them, it's, it's tough not to get a little discouraged while you're hunting them, you know. And, and uh, good on you going back up there and putting in the time and effort and bringing a big heavy out of there.
1: Yeah, you're, you're right about – down in southern Idaho and I'm sure a lot of places you're hunting mule deer – Down there, I'd see, you know, 10, 8 to 10, not big huge bucks, but I'd see 8 to 10 bucks and probably around 50 to 80 deer a day. In northern Idaho, you're lucky to see a deer a day, so it does get very, very discouraging.
0: Yeah, that's tough. I I like hunting the high-density areas, but sometimes those giants grow in low-density areas where there's, you know, not many guys after them, so... It is a mix and match. I, I like to be into them and I like the action, but I've got to mix and match some of those tougher to hunt spots, too.
1: Yeah, I totally agree because it, it gets onto your psyche when you're. <laughs> you, you've hunted a place for a week and you've seen two deer. So. Oh,
0: I question my sanity at that point.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, it's tough. Well, um,. Thanks a bunch. Uh, Ryan, uh, Tanya, It's it's been really great to meet you and kind of meet you through the podcast or on the podcast. I'm going to keep in touch with you. I want to have you back on after your season. We'll talk about some more hunting.
2: Sounds great.
1: Ryan, we really appreciate you having us on. Absolutely. Yep.
0: So um, make sure guys can find you the the Rockslide Forum or ro- rockslide.com, right?
2: Yep.
0: And, yep. and Avery Adventures Podcast. Yep.
2: yep. Averyadventures.com. You can... Listen to the podcast right on the website or you can um, just subscribe to it on whatever podcast um, app that you like, Apple or Android or – there's like a million of them. I don't even yeah, know. All pretty much anywhere. Yep. Perfect.
0: Right on. Thanks again, guys.
2: Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. Okay. All right. Bye.
0: All right, guys. That's a wrap. Yeah, fun conversation with those guys. Uh, thanks for them being on. I – uh, recorded this one a while back. So, um, it's kind of nice not to have any COVID-19 talk in a podcast. Gosh, I'm just ready to, to get life back to normal here. And, um, like I say, I'm, I'm more fortunate than most living in a small community in in Ennis, Montana, but, um, still just got to get this economy rolling. Everybody's got to get back to work, get back to normal here. And, um, so weird seeing everybody in masks and, um, Scared of everybody else and uh, not much human interaction. It's just weird. I mean, we are absolutely living in a movie. Uh, But it's nice. Things are starting to open back up. Things are starting to get back to normal and uh, couldn't be more happy. But uh, thanks to those guys, uh, Ryan and Tanya Avery, for being on the podcast and sharing information. Uh, Really enjoyed getting to meet them and have them on the podcast. Um, Also want to thank our sponsors for the show. I want to thank Everly Stock Packs. Um, if you're in the market for a new pack, make sure to check them out. And also High Mountain Seasoning, keeping me alive during elk season. You no, know, their, their jerky seasonings are really good. I just, I got to run a batch of jerky here before hunting season. I think I've got just a little bit of already sliced meat uh, frozen ready to go. So um, I need to get some in the dehydrator so uh, I can keep myself alive during hunting season. But just a great company, everything for wild game needs, High Mountain Seasonings. And With that, sitting pretty good with that Nevada tag, big adventure for for black bears here. Shot that you know one of my best bears. God, that was so cool. Just still reeling from that. I know I put out that solo podcast. Um, I was I was just a little bit fired up. If you, <laughs> uh, you probably hear, um, but yeah, I just love this this passionate lifestyle. And man, I'm ready to put in the work. Got a Nevada tag now. Got some good early season hunts and, um, going to be some hot weather. So, uh, need to step up my heat training, be running middle of the days. Uh, just can't wait. Got a couple months to prepare here and, uh, get ready for, for fall adventures, save my money, uh, get my work done, you know, take care of all my responsibilities, but man, I'm stoked. Also, um, make sure to check out, uh, I got that other podcast going, uh, and thanks to you guys that, that listen into it, um been really fun it's the fly fishing podcast recorded a really good one last night with my buddy uh, uh, Brian and and um, just a great podcast we went a little long I just uh, I could have I could have recorded all night Um, but yeah it's a great podcast I got a great one coming up this week Uh, Drew Baker he lives in western Montana and we talk about catching bull trout and talk about aggressive eats on streamers and um, he travels a lot and fly fishes, so we talk about Pyramid Lake and just a, a bunch of great content in there. I really like that guy. I've had him on the hunting side. I need to have him back on, and uh, we did a fly fishing podcast. So it's Eastman's Flycast. It's my other project, and um, yeah. I'm I'm uh. Thanks so much for all the support support with this podcast gosh, I saw a few more reviews come in. Um, it really helps me on the iTunes pushing the podcast. And I just really appreciate the, the kind words and positive reviews. Uh, really appreciate all the support on the, um, on the social, on IG. Um, it's just really fun to be able to share my own personal journey with you guys and my buddy's journey. And, and, um, I just try to try to give the same support and, and, uh, answer questions as they come in. I'm just, you know, trying to help you guys become better hunters uh, all while I'm in the same process of trying to make myself a better hunter. So uh, thanks so much for the support, guys. Thanks for listening to this podcast. It means the absolute world to me. And um, yeah, that's a wrap. I'll, uh, I'll check in with you guys next week.